0: Chinese farmers look at a farming life as a life of suffering and hardship. You are not there to enjoy. And this is a shifting attitude of Chinese towards country living as well as nature. This change very much is enabled by the migration of these young people right now.
1: Welcome to Tong. Tracing the Trend, a podcast exploring the origins of cultural phenomena in China, from niche to mainstream, from past to present. Hi, welcome to Tracing the Trend. Today's episode is going to be on camping and the countryside in China. And with me today is my co-host, Stefan Harvey.
2: Hello, happy to be here as usual.
1: And I'm excited to also welcome Mei Zhang, the founder of Wild China.
0: Well, thank you for having me. My name is Mei Zhang, or in Chinese, most uh, friends call me Zhang Mei. I'm the founder of Wild China, uh, which is a luxury adventure travel company based in Beijing, but we also have offices throughout China. But my personal interest, now that I've taken a chairman uh, position, is exploring human stories, both in China and uh, around the world, and write about them, talk about travel, so delighted to meet you. Thank you so much for
1: joining us today, and we're absolutely thrilled that you can be with us. One of the things that we're excited about Tong, and one of the reasons we launched this podcast, is to be able to give platform and voices to interesting individuals and communities who are shaping China at home and abroad. Today's topic is going to be focusing on camping and the countryside in China. Moving on from our other topics in the past, as something that's actually really been, we feel, driven by the last 12 months, at least as a catalyst for people yearning to reconnect with nature and with the outdoors. It's an interesting landscape at the moment. And today's podcast will be deep diving a little bit more on the different communities and groups who are shaping this landscape at the moment. To kick off, what is the Chinese countryside like? And what has that been from the last few decades? Stefan, do you want to give us a bit of a bit of a walkthrough?
2: So I think as you were saying, uh, the past year with the pandemic has been the catalyst for a lot of new, exciting and very different trends. And I think that's why it's particularly important to pay a bit of attention to what's gone on in the past with regards to Chinese society's relationship to the countryside. I wanted to start off by going back to the late 60s to early 70s, um, when under Chairman Mao, a lot of youth were sent away to the countryside. And there was a huge movement um, up to the mountains and down to the countryside movement, where young people were encouraged to go and spend time out in nature and, and learn a different way of life that urban youth were presumed not to have. This was, you know, a, a huge form of forced mass migration, and approximately 17 million young people went during this period. And it kind of highlighted how there was quite a strained relationship with the countryside in China at the time and, and perhaps to this day. But a lot of youth were sent away and maybe missed out on other opportunities in their lives in the cities, but also would have had some very exciting and enlightening experiences out in the countryside but i think it was part of a narrative where often urban spaces in china were and have been privileged over the countryside but certainly chinese society and the chinese government has always acknowledged that it's relied on the countryside for its existence basically for a lot of reasons so this was a very interesting issue that the party had to negotiate and also influence so many youth experiences back in the day and it also made its way into culture there was a um a state film called Julia or breaking with old ideas and it it very much romanticized the countryside at the time and it was about the communists taking over a university out in a a rural area and in one point a student asks or oh, where's the, do we have a canteen? And where is our library? Then the teacher very sort of gracefully just points out to the fields and says, this is our library. So it's always very much been romanticized in many ways. But at the same time, there's always been quite damaging perceptions of the countryside as, as backwards. And often that's created a bit of a rift and also socioeconomic inequalities between cities and rural areas in more recent decades.
1: Well, with that, Stefan, I know out of us, we've all had different experiences of the Chinese countryside. I'm sure you visited there. I spent some of my former years growing up in the Chinese countryside before moving to the big city and then moving to the UK. May, it be great to hear some of your perceptions and experiences of that.
0: Mm, I, I really loved Stefan's um, image and background and history um, of China's countryside. Um, I really, having grown up so much deeply in China, in Yunnan, I don't reflect that way. So uh, I quite appreciated that. Um, when you ask the question, Jenny, uh, what is China's countryside like? In my mind, I came up with two images. One is Timeless. The Timeless China, it was about a month ago. This was 2021. Uh, we had a tour with one of our guide in Guilin, and he just basically panned the film behind him and said, look at the background that this, you know, the farmers are bent over planting spring rice and the water is up to the calf of their legs and the buffalo was still plowing the fields. And I said, move the camera closer. And people saw the Chinese farmers, literally three fingers planting the rice stalks, each one. This has been in China for thousands of years and it has not changed. And the landscape of how closely people live with the land, it, it, it has not changed, right? And to anyone seeing that picture, it's so beautiful and romantic. Like Stefan was saying, it's a romanticized. Of course, northern China is much harsher, which is different. But it has always been very romantic. But the reality for the farmers has always been very, very hard work. You're facing the dirt and your back is against the sunshine. It's a hard life that all Chinese families would teach their children, educate the children, say, that's the life you want to get away from. You want to move away from that life into the city. And so there's this relationship that is sort of a timeless tension. But then at the same time, you go to the countryside. I was there with my girls and used at this blueberry farm. The farmer had his iPhone, not iPhone, sorry, probably a Huawei phone, on a tripod on the stand, and he was doing live streaming from far away mountains selling blueberries to clients in Beijing, Shanghai. If you purchase today, place the order right now. And you it will arrive in your office in the most expensive CBD in Shanghai in Beijing by noon tomorrow. That is also China's countryside today. And I think it's just mind-blowing how different two sides of it right that's That's what i think of
1: (laughs) yeah we we actually covered a little bit and and did a bit of insight on how really accelerated uh covid has made farm to table kind of in that sense. So, you know, we've seen Alibaba strike deals and create platforms for rural farmers to, to bring their products and help monetize their products better and make that connection to consumers. So it's, it's definitely a myth that just because you're outside of the city that you're disconnected. It's really fascinating with my own experience as well, because I grew up um, just out of Xi'an and my former years was raised by my grandparents. And I've had romantic reflections of that, you know, being outside um, in the summer, in the fields, falling asleep, looking at the stars. So my memories are obviously because I'm looking at <laughs> looking at it through a very kind of a nostalgic lens. But um, it's also interesting understanding the historical and societal context, as, as Stefan said moving I think towards the present day that we found really fascinating is just what young people are feeling about the countryside and that changing relationship so when we discuss the fact that you know we're driven by going to big cities because it represents opportunity because it represents uh, aspirations because it represents wealth you know I think that's really almost like ingrained in a lot of people it's ingrained through generations of going where there is uh, opportunity. And now what we're seeing, and as actually more of a social dialogue, is some of these interesting buzzwords coming through. Even BBC wrote an article three days ago around you know the word involution, right? China's young generation becoming more involuted. And, and with that, we're hearing other buzzwords like tamping or slacker culture, really <laughs> to kind of again sum up this um this cultural zeitgeist, which is young people being completely dissatisfied and burnt out from modern day pressures. That leads nicely, I think, for us to deep dive into some of the different people and communities we're seeing that are either moving or exploring the countryside and the outdoors in the short term and potentially in the long term. So the first group that I want to talk about is those who basically go on weekend trips, short stays, who want to experience nature, but only in the short term, whether it's for uh, recreation or whether it's to tap into a sense of adventure. Last October, we launched a report with Globetrender looking at China Next and the future of luxury tourism. And two key things that came out of interest I want to highlight here is, one, the dismantling of the idea that Chinese consumers are not adventurous because pre-COVID, you know, we're seeing groups, we're seeing families actually go out and try out new uh, new types of travel that isn't based on shopping and based around big cities. So groups going to see the Northern Lights, groups going to see the Serengeti, even those inquiring to go to the South a uh, South Pole. So I think it's signifying that already there are a bit of a shift and a bit of pattern and people just generally wanted to see more, and try more, be more diverse in, in their experiences and secondly the one the thing that we we picked up was also around the the change in the size of the groups and just the way the behaviors around travel domestically is as well
0: right i think i think you laid out the picture perfectly jenny i have been in this space in travel for over 20 years and when we first started in 2000 traveling to remote parts of china and deviating from the famous tourist sites was not a concept that a lot of Chinese embrace. They're like, why, why would you do that? And if you go to Rome, you want to see the Colosseum, um, which is understandable, but by now... This concept has completely changed because China has such a huge number of travelers. So there will always be the ones who will want to go to um, the terracotta warriors for the first time. There will always be, right? But as the traveler population matures, there's uh, more and more interest to go and explore the unnamed, unknown sites. And in fact, less sites more for experiences. I mean, this is just a general trend I'm seeing China shifting over 20 years. But more importantly is in the past one year, COVID wreaking havoc around the world has given Chinese remote countryside tourism a golden opportunity. Because everyone in China started traveling about a year ago, last July, and um, China being uh, COVID in China being very much under control, um, China's borders has not really opened up. So no Chinese travelers can venture out, nor can other people venture in for leisure travel purposes. And this has, in, in a way, forced travelers to look in front of their doorsteps and say what do we have and the moment you start looking it's those sort of wonderful places i live next to golden gate bridge i don't go there every day but you are forced you're locked down there and you look it's incredible china has so much to offer and this has really given the new chinese travelers um incredible taste of richness of both the culture, the scenery and hospitality and the creativity the designer experiences in the countryside. And I think this taste can be addictive. So what I'm saying is I don't think this taste is gonna go away. Um, now that you've experienced not the joy of not visiting tourist site, this will shift China's travel trend massively and this will not limit to China. This will extend to the countryside of Scotland or um, you know various wonderful places
2: that are highly worthwhile but people didn't think of making time for it before. and it's it's a great point you make that it, it will expand outward of China when when the time is finally comes for it to be possible. Um, I've been seeing, so many domestic glamping brands on WeChat over the past few weeks and months and doing really great domestic marketing, really cool assets and and very, you know, picturesque images and videos of, of the countryside. And also very much selling still an aspirational, but just another kind of quite cosmopolitan, but in the countryside lifestyle. And, um, It's it's very interesting how these brands are making efforts to also educate their consumers as well as just provide a service because for a lot of people, this was kind of out of their frame of reference maybe two years ago and maybe even one year ago before COVID um, kind of accelerated all of these things. So it's really interesting to see how brands are kind of creating consumer lifestyles for consumers to aspire to and then they're kind of jumping on that horseback and that's how it picks up momentum um also i was yeah. cycling around a scottish island by myself last week and uh it'd be nice to see some chinese cyclists passing through <laughs> on the isle of Arran one day as well coming soon <laughs>
1: I definitely agree with your point, Stefan, in regards to it being a symbiotic relationship. You know, it's a demand side and supply side, both kind of driving this trend. And even looking at when we're talking about, you know, weekenders or those looking into short trips, um, we're seeing kind of two distinct groups as well. We're looking at one who is really seeking the exploration, the adventure, something a little bit more active working with our, one of our clients, North Face. It's interesting to see their growth and in particular categories in China as well. So things like rock climbing, things like hiking, things like trail running. I don't think these sports were, you know, seen as aspirational or even really had a community around them, you know, 10 years ago. So that's been really fascinating. And then on the other hand, we see those who are really looking for more of a slow, more of a retreat more of a self-soothing exercise. Uh, we've seen this grown exponentially on RED, Shu. Um, is actually listed as the top 10 2021 keywords under the lifestyle section. So we're seeing young people particularly take
0: to that. I, I was going to say those two groups, the ones who pursue this um, ultra running or trail running and the ones who go to these glamping sites, they're not conflicting at all. Very often, they're one group of people. I can Uh say, in some ways, I belong there. Um, (laughs) I still love both because it's the um, it's it's the the ones, particularly the endurance Mm -hmm. sports, were Mm -hmm. led by uh, the young and successful entrepreneurs who um, take a different approach. They say, "Do not." Tang do not just slide down. But you can have a different approach to life. You can change the track, the narrative of competition in the society and adopt a much healthier way of living. Um, and their pursuit, uh, led by Mao Daqing or Zhang Jing and the Pan Shiyi and um, also the Van Ke CEO, right? um, all of these people are setting very good examples of a sort of inspiring way of living. And they are the ones who also take the lead to summit Mount Everest to, to to climb, spend time glamping.
1: So moving to our second group of individuals, let's look at the individuals and communities that are relocating for maybe slightly different purposes. So I'm seeing these people as seeking more of a long-term lifestyle change, whether it's because they are dissatisfied with their current lifestyle in the city, whether it's because they're looking for escapism or solace We've um we've been following quite a few interesting individuals online um who have essentially just escaped altogether from from city life. And um I'll hand over to Stefan who who can put some more meat on the bones in terms of um what it, what it is that's driving these people.
2: Well, there's a really interesting case of a guy called Tang Guanhua, who over a decade ago now was quite disillusioned with his life in Qingdao and moved out of town to a mountain and just started living off the land basically. And he really didn't have much experience of any kind of rural lifestyle himself either. Um, and one defining feature of, I'll get onto what he's kind of developed to this day, but one defining feature of his progress developing this lifestyle out in the country was that he was very dependent on the internet and knowledge sharing on the internet to to develop something that we see as like quite an off grid lifestyle. Um, But very much like the kind of, you know, blurring boundary between um, rural and urban and the connectivity through live streaming and, and Alibaba helping with farm to table services. Even those people trying to reject a lot of the very like capitalist nature of, of the, the mega cities that we've got in China and, and harsh competition in the workplace are still dependent on modern technology. So it's not like technology is ever going out of the picture, but this guy Tang Guanhua started setting up his own communes and people will come and visit him on an ad hoc basis from out of Qingdao. He's, now wife, Sing Jun, used to work in finance and would just go and visit him in the countryside as much as possible. They they met at an event once and then she just started feeling just as disillusioned about city life too, and began to join him. And a few years down the line, he'd moved to somewhere very remote in Fujian province and had had started a real commune where people from cities all over China, often people who had been or expected to go to, into very white collar professions and lifestyles were just taking time to leave the city and, you know, work on the grounds, Grow their own produce and build something of a community out of nothing, to be honest. And it shows that there is a desire among some millennials and, and people even younger to really distance themselves from a lot of competition in the workplace. You know, we hear a lot of narrative now around the idea of nine nine-six, working nine till nine, six days a week famously promoted by Jack Ma from Alibaba and and a lot of people question what it's all for. It's it's definitely an anti-consumerist course of action, but at the same time, I, I don't think these people are necessarily romanticizing about the past. I still think they want to keep in touch with social media and technology to stay connected. Following
0: Tangonghua, or, or maybe not in parallel track, I'm not sure, uh, there are such movements all over the country. I've spoken to farmers who left Shanghai and went back to Hunan to simply find, um, a diff- to build a network of organic farmers and supply to Shanghai and Guangzhou Uh, That was the case. And also in my hometown of Dali in Yunnan, China, Dali has become almost a mecca for such lifestyle seekers. Uh, Many, many young couples left Beijing, Shanghai and um, Guangzhou, Shenzhen and moved to the area, even ended up having children in that area. Some of these young entrepreneurial ones started building a local kindergarten, and as their kids grew, they built that elementary school and basically establishing the whole network ecosystem for them to make a living out in the country. So the trend is there, um, but at the same time, I... Uh, I find, having followed them for about 10 years, I have quite a few friends in this area. I find many of them a bit disillusioned right now, though. There is an incredible challenge to make a living where uh, the opportunities are fairly limited in the country. It's basically two areas, right? Hospitality or organic farming, F&B, farm to table supplies um it's very very hard to deviate from that and stefan as you pointed out they cannot uh leave the their iphones or the social media uh, behind them in fact that's their lifeline to opportunities outside of the country and um so yeah they cannot the 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 economic structure, the opportunities available have limited them to those two sectors. You you do not find a Warren Buffett living in Nebraska, in (laughs) China, right? (laughs) So, and uh, other social network for people to have a a lifestyle that they want to seek, for example, education for their children. I, I touched upon earlier. Healthcare is a big concern, Um, other career opportunities. So those are the limiting factors for people moving back to the country long term. So after about a decade or so, as their kid get into middle school, uh, many of them either move overseas to Thailand to enter international school systems there or move back to the city to pursue a lifestyle in a way sometimes they feel a little bit defeated you know, uh, that they had to go back to the city.
1: It's interesting you talked about um, the movement back and forth as well. We read some really interesting feedback on communes and different um, different ones cropping up, some more successful than other. I'm just going to anecdotally talk about some of them. One of the readers uh, at the back of an interview was saying how you know is this an extended art project or you know it's interesting to hear like, like actually what domestic consumers and and citizens think about this and also how that's perceived um, outside of China I think there's definitely different mindsets towards this and as we know it really comes down to um, the individual and the context of which they're in leads us to our third group which is almost a combination of the two that we talked about so those who have experienced what it is like to be within nature to really enjoy that but also those trying to make a sustainable life for themselves out there. And May, you mentioned before around how, you know, going out to these countrysides, you're know, calling them new immigrants is like updating tastes and the sense of style. It's a fusion of lifestyle between city and country and trying to make that actually something that has longevity. As we look at the general shift towards perhaps people adopting this on a broader scale uh, and whether new immigrants is something that is a trend or actually something that is an indication of the future?
0: Mm, I I think this trend will will continue. Um, There is, what these new immigrants, that that's the group of people that I was talking about who left Beijing Shanghai and moved to Dali. They contributed to bringing a... Uh, a, a sense of necessities of modern way of living and as, as ton works with all these luxury brands you know the the speed of how Chinese consumers in the city mature right they look for um aesthetics that are very sophisticated, very international. There will be, you know, uh, a picnic table needs to have cloth cloth, tablecloth, not a plastic piece of paper on top anymore. And if you serve your picnic lunch with a plastic bag, the city dwellers will already sort of frown upon it. So the, the sense of going to you know, glass bottles, and even in a way, uh, seeking a slightly more sustainable way of living. There may be less of a uh, purpose to be sustainable, but there is definitely a strong purpose to be aesthetically beautiful and uh, hongshu worthy. <laughs> this is Instagram worthy, right? That that's what they're looking for. And it happens the the new migrants already have that sense of what these young Chinese travelers are looking for. So when they migrate to the country, they may be doing still a nong le, the, the farm family dinners, but they do it in a beautiful glamping style, which will resonate and connect with city consumers much better and they know i can use my local dali cheese and still serve you a local dish but at the end of it i'll top it off with a tiramisu maybe a latte neither of which uh were part of chinese cuisine right but it is part of the fusion lifestyle the city dwellers go like aha that's the way to live And even better, the ones who returned from France to Ningxia are operating these incredibly um, wonderful wineries. They produce good uh, Cabernets, uh, Pinot Noirs, or whatever there, and they are supplying uh, some of these local markets, right? So the whole upgrading of lifestyle is, this is different from what traditional Chinese farmers are used to.
2: those are all really interesting points and and especially how you touch on how a lot of these people are trying to aestheticize the lifestyles they've got um both through what they do and what they have you know sort of nice glassware and things like that and it makes me think about some of the trends we're seeing on on social media in china that makes it so much more visible to these potential consumers and also potential new migrants so um Jenny and I have been looking at the social platform and kind of just content platform ETL, which very much flaunts this kind of very aestheticized lifestyle. A lot of it's almost like Chinese rural villa porn, <laughs> and just like <laughs> just really nice looking architecture <laughs> out in the countryside, yeah. and and romanticizing lifestyles in a very sort of like it's, it's, it's trendier and more millennial targeted, but kinds of homes and gardens style, uh, media platform. And then also influencers who are doing this on an individual level and the, the most obvious and significant one who you can't go without mentioning is leads um, who has made millions off marketing and romanticizing her own sort of rural life in the countryside and looking after her grandma, a lot of the time as well. And, I mean, even in the West, she's got over 2.3 billion views on YouTube. So this isn't just a domestic phenomenon, Uh, but lead to cheese stuff is, is is fascinating and she's got her own food brand. So she's trying to, you know, transfer products of that lifestyle back into the cities um, through sales. But at the same time, a lot of this aestheticization has led to criticisms by some people within China. So it's interesting that a lot of these influencers. Um, easily tie in with a lot of the stuff that tourist boards and governments want people to promote which are quite nationalist and nativist and, and painting China in a wonderful picture but other people say well actually you're, you're gentrifying this lifestyle that that farmers have found to be very um, arduous for decades so why are you suddenly painting it as so beautiful when this isn't the reality for a lot of people still
0: well, I don't mind uh, painting the countryside picture a little bit uh, more beautiful. Sure. Um, in fact, I, I think I think if possible, that would be a lifestyle that would be a way of living that I I hope more and more farmers can can have. For example, in the countryside, when I take sometimes our guests. Um, for dinner, and you have this incredible view of the distance, and yet the dinner table is set in a dark room, and and I said, why would you want to do that? Set mm-hmm. the table outside under the pavilion, and just just clean up the table, and you know, harvest anything like these wild flowers, whatever from sure. your garden in a, in a jar. It, your clients will enjoy this a lot more. So these are the sort of things I think everybody can enjoy life a little bit more. What I have a chip on my shoulder on about this countryside romanticizing is the focus on look and not the content. And it really bugs me. I'll give you one example. I went to this incredibly beautiful the design boutique hotel with maybe 10, 15 rooms uh, at the foot of Meili Xueshen. This is Mount Kawagebo, in further from Shangri-La towards Tibet and you have the glacier of Mount Kawagebo outside the window and it's stunning. It's designed by this friend who's a graduate of uh, School of Design of Harvard from a Yunnan local and you go in there, there is this snobbishness of uh, uh, a butler or a manager that was recruited from Nanjing, and he would like frown upon each time you order a cup of coffee because it somehow they ser- the service was designed in a way that he has to run up four floors to get you a cup of coffee. So he hates it every time you order. it. So you order one cup, and you order the other cup for the guests there's no more. Right. And I go, you charge an extraordinary amount of money for this really, really bad service. And you can get by in China because they're not selling hospitality. They are selling a filming studio, a photo studio for WeChat, for Xiaohongshu. People go there to take photographs. People don't go there to experience hospitality and that coming from someone who's experienced hospitality from around the world it really bugs me and i hope chinese consumers will be able to ask and demand for more service in such beautiful places
2: yeah well i'm sure there are pockets where there is real genuine hospitality and hopefully as as i was saying about the glamping brands earlier often brands have to create that demand um, as much as that demand needs to grow organically so I really hope it it kind of happens on both sides.
1: Then we move to the end of this discussion, just around what does this mean for the different players in the space, right? You know, what does that mean for... Service providers, are we creating an economy that is sustainable and scalable? What does this mean for our local communities? So the individuals who are fulfilling these um, requests on behalf of groups and families who are willing to travel out and see the countryside? And what does this mean for local businesses at, as in you know big corporations or even global businesses who are also looking into nature, uh, as inspiration for their marketing and the sales and product.
0: That's a very good question. Uh, looking ahead through COVID, this re- th- this break is is a reset button. Looking ahead, I am hoping, and I'm I'm positive that's the way it, it will go. Is moving towards a auth- appreciation for authenticity and uh, l- the appreciation pursuit of luxury is not just on surface or in price instead there will be a bit more seeking of the nourishment for the soul a combination of high low luxury high being high priced you know you you do want i do appreciate staying at the peninsula in in paris but at the same time, the low can be doesn't something that doesn't cost you a penny. But you take a walk in the countryside and really feel, smell the, the dirt and uh, the flowers. And I think you will see the maturity of Chinese consumers in that direction very fast. It comes in both food, hospitality, anything experiential driven in the next couple of years.
2: I think there's a few things to consider it's definitely a trend uh there's no denying that um you know we've seen north face collabing with gucci um first being publicized in china and burberry's chinese new year campaign um at the start of 2021 was very much focused on the great outdoors and exploration and telling stories in nature but i do wonder if just to stick to nature in a very romanticized way is a bit simplistic and brands will have some keeping up to do because I think the trend we're seeing is is an interconnectedness between the city and the countryside and I don't think people are ever going to disappear from cities like humans like to live in the same place. But as you say, younger generations want to be more conscious in the way they consume. But that isn't necessarily an absolute rejection of urban spaces. And all of a sudden, oh, we just become villagers. And so I think in terms of lifestyle and actually branding that reflects that lifestyle, you're going to see something that synthesizes the two and and speaks to more varied lifestyles that uh, will become increasingly common. Um, and I think, I think another thing to say would be expect to see more nature in urban spaces too. Um, sometimes it's to do with climate change, but also proactive activities by urbanites trying to create, you know, community gardens, private gardens. Um, just this week on top of one of the skyscrapers in London, a very rare plant that is rarely seen outside of the mediterranean was found growing on the U- in the uk for the first time in 150 years or something um because different climates are being created in urban spaces that actually do cater to various kinds of wildlife and greenery
1: well that was a really powerful and inspiring note to end on thank you may for that and uh, yeah th- that leaves me with even more things to think about and conversations to have following this so thank you both thank you may thank you stefan for joining us today um, as always this is a forum for discussion and exchange so feel free to message us after this conversation with any questions
0: thank you for having me
1: Thank you for listening to Tong's Tracing the Trend. We are a collective of cross-cultural experts championing for a more connected and informed global society. For more information, head over to our website, tongdigital.com. Want to submit a topic for discussion? DM us on Instagram, at tongglobal, that's at T-O-N-G global, to have your voice heard.